morning is from uh, Malachi 3, um, starting at the 13th verse, and uh, it's on page 676 of the Church Bibles. Um, 13. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord, yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said, it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. The um, third reading comes from uh, Matthew chapter 16, uh, all the chapter except for the last verse. It's just after Jesus had fed the 4,000 people and then moved to the vicinity of Magadan. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Jesus replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearances of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The disciples discussed this among themselves and said, it is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then the disciples understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, 
or one of the other prophets? Or what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to the disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to his what he has done. This is the end of the reading. Lord Jesus, we see your power in so many things, even in small things like the Stocklands decision. You are sovereign there and you want people to hear about you there and all over the world. Help us today to see your power in scripture and to be reminded again of your power and majesty and how much you love people and how you're building your church. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. This is sometimes... There's a promise in here that's embedded in the passage we're looking at today, and sometimes it's obscured by a lot of other things going on around it, debates. Is Peter the rock? And sometimes we miss a small promise, and I want to hone in on this promise today. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So Hades seems to be a place where unbelievers go after they die, held there until the final judgment. And if Jesus doesn't step in powerfully into our lives and save us, that's our destiny. This is battle imagery. Jesus often uses spiritual battle imagery. Even the word salvation that we use quite a lot, that's a powerful word. That's battle imagery. Jesus saves us. He rescues us from, from Hades. And he brings us into some wonderful, glorious kingdom that we hear about in Scripture again and again. And Jesus is building his church by rescuing us, saving us, and the gates of Hades will not overcome the church because Jesus is powerful. 
Jesus is building his church and it's not because we're great. It's not because of our power. We are just people who are being saved, people who are being rescued. And it's not because of the disciples' power. Sometimes people think the disciples were superhuman. But how does Jesus depict the disciples again and again? They're slow to learn, aren't they? He says, oh, you of little faith. Some people say that Peter is the powerful one, not the disciples, Peter, and he's the rock that the church is built on. But I believe the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, is the rock that the church is built on. But some people believe the power is in him and then somehow it's passed down to others. Well, how does the Bible depict Peter in this passage? In fact, Peter doesn't even know that his objectives are clashing with the objectives of Jesus. Jesus turns to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So Peter recognises who Jesus is, revealed to him by God, but then doesn't want Jesus to fulfil his destiny. But Jesus must fulfil his destiny to rescue us. So the church has been building... Jesus has been building the church and it's been building and building and building numerically and in Christ's likeness as Jesus works in all of our lives. And it's not because of us, not because of the disciples, it's not because of Peter and it's not because of religion. Back then there were two religious groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they actually both contributed very negatively to the state of Judaism. They understood he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So it's not religion, it's not Peter, it's not the disciples, it's not us. The power is in Jesus and a powerful message that has been sweeping through the world for 2,000 years, that Jesus is the son of the living God, the Messiah, the powerful saviour. And for 2,000 years, Jesus has continued to build his church like a vast army. Army armed with hope, promises of Jesus, and with love. And that army has been growing because many, many children, all the great revivals have been mainly young people, even the Great Awakening in the States hundreds of years ago. Many young children are hearing about Jesus they recognise his beauty and they're accepting him. Now, did you know that 80% of people become Christians between the age of 4 and 14? I'm going to do a quick show of hands here. Who became a Christian before they became an adult? There you go. I reckon that's about 80%. Compassion is a part of that. We work with 7,000 churches and a growing number of churches and we care for 2 million kids in the developing world. And we are armed with the promises and the love of Jesus. And the church has been bringing restoration and hope to the lives of many people and saving people from Hades. And, you know, simple things that we do, simple acts of obedience are supporting growth of the church. So it's not our power, but certainly simple acts of obedience are powerful in themselves. The fact that you exist, you're raising money to build a church You've existed for a long time as a local congregation and there are hundreds of thousands of faithful local congregations around the world. So please keep being generous to the ministry of this church. 
the simple obedience of your pastor and the pastoral team to keep Christ-centred, to keep focusing on Jesus. Simple act of obedience from people who are pastoring you. Just the simple hope that we have in Jesus is powerful. But there is a thief who seeks to destroy. He seeks to take away that hope. And that explains the existence of poverty and all sorts of horrendous oppression all over the world, not just in the developing world, everywhere. There is a thief who seeks to destroy. Jesus said he is a liar and he is a murderer. And we see the impact of his work in the world. In 1 John 5, we're told, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. But Jesus is more powerful. He has the power to rescue people from the evil one. He has power to rescue people from from Hades. And we see his power in the Bible in the most radical way. His resurrection from the dead. He promised in verse 21 that he would rise from the dead. And he did. That's incredible power, isn't it? And he made incredible promises, amazing, beautiful promises to his, to his followers, people who believe the good news and follow Jesus. He said, you too will rise from the dead and you'll have eternal life. I believe that is a big part of our hope, resurrection from the dead. Jesus gives us hope through his beautiful promises. He will build his church, we will rise from the dead, our sins are being washed away through his blood. But one of the building blocks of building the church is hope. There are so many children who can actually be saved from poverty. Children who are living in risks. Children who are living in the slums. Children who have parents who cannot provide food or give them a good place to sleep. They cannot be able to have clean water. They cannot be able to go to school. Thousands and thousands and thousands of children are living under these conditions. This is all I know, that you can love even the least of all. You can appreciate them. You can be there with, for them. You can stand with them. And this is what compassion does. It brings hope. The hope through Jesus Christ is what makes everything possible. Sometimes they just need someone to tell them things are going to be better. Just hold on. There's change coming. So for 2,000 years, Jesus has empowered his church to share this hope with kids and with adults, and to people in the most hopeless situations. Now, when I was in Indonesia, I met people in the most hopeless situations, but their lives were being transformed by the hope that is found in Jesus. There were a group of 35 of us from eight different churches. We visited over 40 sponsored children. People said that week was life-changing. There's something about poverty that degrades, and it's a refrain I felt like I was a piece of rubbish because I live in a rubbish dump. It brings shame and it brings despair. But the hope that comes from God... I have gone one slide too far, haven't I? 
That was the first day. So actually, we visited 10 churches in seven days. And I'm only going to talk briefly about uh, four of them. Poverty degrades, but the hope that is found in Jesus does not put us to shame. God's love has been poured into our hearts, as we read in Romans 5, through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And I was reminded of this on our first home visit, day one in Indonesia. As always happens on these trips, God just bombards my brain with verses and uh, they come to life in that moment. On the first day, we asked the mum, what can we pray for at the end of the home visit? And the husband's sitting right next to her and all the kids are gathered around her. And she was crying and she said, I just want my husband to know the heart of Jesus. So the kids were all believers. The mum was a believer. They'd come to faith through the ministry of the local church. But the dad had gone from a life of hard manual labour to drinking, to gambling, to drugs, and in and out of jail, total loss of hope, and a life of destruction, and heading for Hades. And all the stuff she could have asked us to pray for, she just wants her husband to know the heart of Jesus. She knew that Jesus had transformed her own life and her own thinking. Even though she was living in relative poverty compared to us, she was joyful and happy because she had that hope. And she knew that her kids had that hope, and her four kids... Uh, were serving in church because they had the hope and they wanted other kids to have that hope. That church, that little church, looks after 30, 332 of the poorest kids in that community. You imagine 332 kids and their families receiving the good news, receiving the love of Jesus and the good news about Jesus. So I could see the gates of Hades were ready and open and willing to take in more and more people, but Jesus was rescuing child after child, family after family, because the Holy Spirit was drawing hearts to Jesus, the powerful one, and the eternal hope that's found in Jesus. So this was day two. Oh, I'll see if this works. Doesn't work. That's my daughter Penelope with a lanyard and little boy in red. Uh, that appears in two of the photos. That's, Abra that's Abraham. So my three youngest kids and my wife are on this trip. I, I'd taken my other daughter earlier in the year, really the previous year, and we sat with Abraham and her mum. They're a Christian family. The beloved husband had died a couple of years ago because of an illness. If you get sick in the developing world, often you just die. In the meantime, Abraham, because he'd lost his dad, found himself in poverty but he entered Compassion Sponsorship Program. Now, Abraham was registered but not sponsored yet. He was still looking for a sponsor. And we asked the mum, what can we pray for? She said, oh, well, pray for him because he has seizures regularly in the heat. And he was receiving medicine from Compassion for that. Also, pray, to him, pray for him to know and fear the Lord all his life. And pray for a good sponsor. <laughs> and there we all were. And my 14-year-old daughter, Penelope, said, Dad, Dad, can I sponsor him? Now, of all the kids, she was the one that never expressed any interest in sponsoring a child. But we sponsored Abraham. And that was because Jesus powerfully was prompting her, prompting her to care for another person. That's another way the church has grown over the last 2,000 years. Jesus has been prompting people to share the good news, to share the love of Jesus with people. It's not just... Head knowledge, it's living out Christianity. And I was so proud of my daughter. There was something pretty shocking, though, that I asked. I said, what can we pray for? What are your biggest expenses? She said, look, we're doing okay. Food is one of our biggest expenses, but transport. I thought, transport, that's weird. 
because they live a little bit away from the church and the Compassion Child Development Centre, so she needs to get him there safely when she's working at a checkout at a pharmacy. And she needed a safe driver who knew what to do with him if he had a seizure, but also so he doesn't walk to the project, walk a long distance. Because the mentor of the child, lady in the white jacket, she conservatively estimates 40 to 50% of the kids in that village have been sexually abused. It is rampant in the developing world. Abraham's mum knows that if she can just get him to church, everything will be okay. She knows at church, God's holiness is everywhere, in holy relationships, in prayer, in listening to God speak in scripture. And there are tireless mentors who are caring for kids and pastoral workers who are caring for kids. It is an oasis. And that's how the church is in the developing world. The church is the oasis, the light on the hill that people are drawn to. And Abraham's mum knows, if I can just get him there four days a week for the Compassion Project, everything will be okay. Now, I'm going to show you a short clip. I met Angeline in the Philippines a few weeks ago. I was there with uh, St Albans Anglican Church in Five Dock. Uh, Angeline's dad is now out of jail. She is now, since this video was made, she is the ma major breadwinner in the family. She got her dad out of jail. All her siblings are going to church with her, and her dad is going to church with her. I was about to go to school, and when I opened the door, I just saw drugs, and I discovered that my father was a drug dealer. Every time my classmates ask me about my family or what's the occupation of my parents, I just, I don't tell them um, directly the truth and because I am ashamed. Uh, shabu, which is equivalent to a low quality meth, is very rampant. We have children ages 11, 12, who starts taking drugs. I know that I would be encountering some problems with Angeline because Angeline is, uh, came from a, a very dysfunctional home. I counsel her. Angeline, just don't mind about what is happening in your family. Mind about yourself. Mind about the Lord. Mind about everything what you are doing here. There was healing. I started um, confessing my sins and because I really felt the presence of God that time and it was really, um, it was new to me, that feeling and I know that God was really there and He was really um, touching my heart. Having a sponsor uh, is a great impact to me because it helps me being strong and it motivates me, it encourages me. For me, God is not just my Lord and my Savior, but God is my friend. If you look at Angeline, you look at Angeline as a worshiper. When she leads the worship, she will really lead the congregation to worship the Lord. I tell you, she said, when I have struggles, 
I will just worship the Lord. And I'll, I'll be back. I'll be back to life. I love that church. Second time I visited recently and uh, they're doing outreach to 800 compassion kids and many mothers. And many of those mothers are prostitutes. It's in the red light district. Even the prostitutes in the town are coming to the oasis that is the church, the light on the hill, and they're hearing about Jesus and their lives are being transformed. We heard many testimonies. Day three. He will, I was reminded of Malachi. We heard Malachi chapter three read before. I was reminded of Malachi chapter four. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else they will come and strike the land with total destruction. This town is known as a gangster town. A lot of terrible things are going on here. But one of those people who was making money from illegal activities was bringing his child to the program and he had repented of what he was doing in the past few months. And he was relying on more honest means of earning income. But there aren't a lot of possibilities in the developing world if you're not educated. And that's one of the reasons Compassion wants kids to be educated and tutors them after school. Now, Christian's father was a role model to the other gangsters in the community. Now, many dads are coming to the church with their kids and they're hearing about Jesus, who is powerful. And he praised God because every time he was in dire need, even though he was wasn't earning money from a life of crime anymore. God had miraculously provided. But of course, it was the church providing, and behind that, there was a sponsor funding that. Urgent repairs to the house, uh, paid for his wife's eye operation, and the culture of the town was turning around. So people were he going headlong in towards destruction, but in this town, there was amazing restoration. And not because of compassion, because of the power of Jesus and the power of the church. Compassion was just funding that ministry that already existed. So the, I could see the destructive power of the evil one in that town, but that Jesus was powerful to save. Day four. I was reminded of Jeremiah 29. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. So this was really confronting poverty. Uh, I think some of the worst poverty I had seen. And the kids are in church every day. Compassion's running the program there every day. The kids are eating there every day. There is actually no church building. There's a child development centre. Church is the minister's house. He and 30 people from his church meet together and they go out and serve these kids every day. And it is an amazing place. He's a former businessman. It's a labyrinth of tangled poorly put together rooms, but there's a music room to teach kids music. Computer lab, teach kids computer skills. Uh, screen printing, reverse osmosis water filtration. Just opportunity after opportunity everywhere. And sincere love for the kids. They're serving these kids every day of the week out of sincere love and in, a fulf in fulfillment of Romans chapter 12. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Well, this is my favourite story. This is my son, Marky, when he was eight years old and he sponsored Geriswanda. 
And he said, look, he needs compassion more than anyone, Dad. He read through the back of 80 profiles like I have profiles here today. Mark, he gave up birthday money. He prayed regularly, wrote letters, boy writing letters. It's quite rare. Beautiful, encouraging letters and received them back. And uh, he was devoted to him. He honoured him. He was faithful in giving and in prayer, sharing with a boy in need. And four years later, we travelled round an active volcano which actually erupted, but thankfully there's a big exclusion zone. So it erupted a few weeks after we were there. And we went past all these plants covered in volcanic dust and we met Gereswanda and it was just awesome. And I wondered what the town would be like without compassion there because the power of Jesus is there. People have hope. Even if that thing blows up and they all disappear, they have Jesus and the promise of eternity. And I met families and parents who were joyful in hope patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. And I have seen my son's life enriched because he is connected to the life of another human being. He cares for another human being. He says now that mark has got a lot of friends, but he said, my best friend is Gareswanda. And I've loved seeing Marky's development. God has taught him to put others above himself. He has shown him the power of generosity. Jesus has been generous to us, hasn't he? He has given us everything. He became poor on the cross. He gave his whole life. And Marky is giving of himself and he's seeing the beauty and the blessing of that. And I have seen Jesus building the church, but not just numerically. It doesn't mean a thousand people got saved here. That's happening in large numbers. The church is growing faster than any other time in the last 2,000 years. It's happening now. Not necessarily in the wealthy countries, though. But we are also seeing growth in maturity. That's part of Jesus building his church. He is building us. As we come to hear his word, transformed by his word, we are being changed into the likeness of Christ. And I'm seeing growth in Marky in terms of fruit of the spirit in his life. And not just my son, we received a letter a couple of weeks ago telling us that uh, Gereswanda had been baptised. And I've got to say, we all cried. Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And, you know, I've seen that promise fulfilled again and again. But why isn't it on the news? SBS World News. There's nothing there. Sydney Morning Herald. There's so much hatred towards Christians. There's nothing good ever about the church. The whole world saw the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus is building his church, but the media didn't pay any attention to it. Uh, you remember Adun, the boy who was rescued from the cave, the boy who could speak five languages, a compassion sponsor child? Well, the media all said they all became Buddhist monks, but they didn't. One child went to a thanksgiving ceremony with all the pastors from that area. Because in that part of Chiang Rai, many, many children are coming to know Jesus. They didn't tell you that he was praying that they would be released from the cave. You didn't hear that in the media. They didn't tell you about his pastor praying with the whole community. They didn't tell you about his parents praying. They didn't tell you about the kids at his church praying. The media is not telling you about the power of Jesus as he builds his church. They're not telling you that kids are being baptised. That's Adun's pastor baptising yet another child. And you too, you are building the church through your simple acts of obedience. But not because of your power, it's Jesus in you. Through your prayerfulness, through your generosity towards your kids through beautiful letter writing, encouraging kids to know and love Jesus and to persevere despite difficult circumstances. 
And I want to thank you for your partnership in Manado, in northern Sulawesi, in Indonesia. Jesus is building his church in the most populous Muslim-majority country on earth because that's the power of Jesus. You wouldn't expect that, would you? But that's exactly what's happening, and your generosity is making a huge difference. But what you may not know is that you're also encouraging not just the child and the family, the Compassion staff and our 50,000 volunteers around the world who are making a huge difference in the lives of children. That is another way Jesus is using your generosity as he builds his church. And many of our volunteers are older compassion kids. One child being discipled, growing up, discipling another child. Like Eunice, a girl who I met last year. And I'm going to close with her story now. Let a compassion child have the last word. And this to me summarises how Jesus is building his church through Southeast Asia and throughout the world. We moved to this place after my father lost his job. I live here with my family, my mom and dad, and all my brothers. I am the only daughter. Our home is built over a very dirty river. And when the storms happen, our home floods with water and garbage. This is a scary place when it gets dark. People get drunk and fight all the time. Even though I live in this place, I have been sponsored by Arlie and Nancy. I call them mom and dad. Although we are countries apart, I know they chose me. They tell me, Eunice, we remember you. We love you. You are like our own daughter. Because of my sponsors, I had the opportunity to go to the Compassion Program at the church in my neighborhood. For all these years, my sponsors and my church have helped me to receive better food and medicine. With the help of my sponsors, I will be able to work to help my own family. When I was nine, my Compassion teacher shared Jesus with us, and that's when I accepted Christ. Even though I am poor, He has provided my church he gave me sponsors who love me. God will never leave us. I want to share everything I have learned with kids who are like me. I want them to feel the joy of having a sponsor, to get a letter that says, I love you. I want to serve the Lord and I won't stop serving Him because He does not stop loving me. There are children around the world waiting waiting for a sponsor like you. Release a child from poverty in Jesus' name.